Everything has its time. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. The God-given cask. What gain have the workers from their toll? I have seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. And Ephesians 15 and 16. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of time because the days are evil. We thank God for his word. A watched pot never boils. I used that expression with Daniel and Esther last Sunday afternoon, and they didn't have an idea what I was talking about. And it led to one of those interesting conversations you can have with children about a topic that's really complex. In this case, how time is experienced differently depending on our circumstances. I mean, if you sit looking out the window, waiting for your friends to arrive, it's going to feel like an eternity, like I told Esther and Daniel. But if you go off and play for a bit, your friends will be here before you know it. And it occurred to me after that conversation with my children that we have so many idioms in the English language, don't we? To talk about our varying experience of time. We talk of time flying when we're having fun, but we want to kill time when we're bored. Time is against us in exam season, but in the summer, we have all the time in the world. And I guess if there's anything that connects all these different idioms about time, it's the sobering truth that time is not something we are able to control. As the writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us, only God is outside of time. Look again at verse 11. He writes, God has put a sense of past and future into our minds, and yet we cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. We are not above time. We cannot press pause or rewind on the live stream of our lives. All we can do is embrace the time we've been given as it carries us forward. The question for us today is, how do we do that? How do we be good stewards of time? Or to borrow the Apostle Paul's phrase, how are we to make the most of our time? Well, I want to begin by starting that perhaps we're not to do what the world might encourage us to do. 
Because I don't know about you, but it seems to me that our culture has got time all wrong. We seem to be living under the illusion, don't we, that we can somehow master time. That if we only download the right app on our phones to organize us, or we complete the latest time management course, we'll be able to maximize our potential and squeeze the most out of every moment. But surely that's not what the Apostle Paul means when he tells us to make the most of time. Christ didn't come, did he, to make us more efficient. Christ came because, as Paul goes on to say in those verses, the days are evil. You see, we live in a world that is out of kilter, a world that encourages us to live other than how we were made to live. So maybe we might get a better handle on what it means to be a good steward of time by listening to this ancient wisdom from the book of Ecclesiastes. The teacher, as the writer of this book is often called, has much to say about how we can faithfully steward the time we're given. And full disclosure here, I've been helped hugely in my understanding of the teacher's words by a remarkable book by James Smith called How to Inhabit Time. And much of what you're about to hear is taken from a chapter of his book, and I would encourage you to read it for yourselves. But with Smith's help, I want to offer you this morning three easy steps, I'm calling them, to become better stewards of time, according to the writer of Ecclesiastes. I think you'll have them listed in your order of service. Step one, embrace the seasons. Step two, work out when you are. And step three, time travel with friends. Let's start with the first of these, embrace the seasons. Now, to illustrate this point, I've brought something with me, because it's not just the kids who get an object in their talks. I've brought a strawberry. And if you don't mind me being a bit rude, I'm going to take a bite. Is that okay? All right. Now, I'm sorry for not sharing with you, but actually, don't feel too bad. It's actually a little bit disappointing. I love strawberries, but that strawberry, it's a little bit bland. It just doesn't have that sweetness that I imagined. But why should I be surprised? What month are we in? February. Strawberries, as far as I'm aware, are for June. This is nothing like the strawberries I used to pick as a teenager in Armagh for my summer job when you would sneak a few into your mouth when you were meant to be putting them into the pallets. When you got to savour that seasonal sweetness of a fruit ripe in season. You see, strawberries are not in season at this time of year. But this is the great cheat of the convenience food culture we live in. We think that we can have all the bounty of summer any time of the year. But in actual fact, we've been conditioned in our culture to put up with mediocrity, with a half-sweet strawberry. We've been robbed of that joy I remember from my youth. You see, for us to really enjoy nature's bounty, we need to enjoy fruits and vegetables in season. 
Now, the teacher of Ecclesiastes would remind us that this is actually true of all of life, not just our taste buds. For everything he writes, there is a season and a time for every matter under the sun. And in his book, Smith says that to truly make the most of the time we have been given, we need to accept this seasonality. We need to embrace the seasonality of life described in these well-known verses to us, recognizing that for all of us, there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. And there are seasons of life in between. You see, minutes, days, and years might be how we measure time normally. It might be how we trace the course of the earth around the sun. But Smith in his book insists that the most natural form for us as human beings to measure time is in seasons. In other words, the answer to the question, when am I right now, is not 11 a.m. on Sunday morning or 25th of February 2024. It's much more like, I'm in youth, I'm in middle age, I'm in chapter three of a life. Now you might say this all sounds a bit pessimistic, and I'll accept the teacher in Ecclesiastes makes no attempt, does he, to sugarcoat our mortality. But remember what we said about seasonal eating. The strawberry is best enjoyed in June. And that means every season of life has its gifts. Every season has gifts to offer us. And that can be true even when the season is hard. Many of you will know much better than me that there are chapters in life that we'd rather not repeat. But Smith in his book would encourage us to remember that even in those hard seasons, even when times are tough, we still revolve around the sun. Not the sun, S-U-N, but S-O-N. The son of God who even in the dark times is there to offer us more of himself. You see, taking time in life, as Smith reminds us, is a way of letting the season shape us. And ultimately, there's a trust in that, that God's providential and caring hand is not only behind the season that we're in, but that that hand is holding us as we go through it. So how do we be a good steward of time? Well, the teacher of Ecclesiastes might say that the first step is to give ourselves over to the season we are in. This means that rather than rushing to overcome it, to, to rush past it, or even to deny the season, we're to embrace it, even if it's hard, with the expectation that we will receive in this season whatever it is we need to move on to the next. In other words, we're to consider what this season is demanding of us. Is it a time to plant or a time to pluck up? Is it a time to weep or is it a time to dance? Is it a time to keep silence or is it a time to speak? Answering those questions, well, that will require discernment. And this brings us neatly to step two. Work out when you are. Well, the guides and the scouts who were here last week will know something about working out where you are. 
When you're up the morns on an expedition and you're nearing the peak on a clear day, you can look back and see exactly where you've been, where you're going and where you are. But find yourself, as I've done many times on the hillside, in the middle of thick fog and it's a different thing entirely. Suddenly, we need to rely on different skills. Well, when we, face, when we think about this question of when are we, we face the same challenge. Very often, isn't it? It's only when we're through a season in life that we can look back and identify it as a particular season. What is much more difficult is trying to work out the season we're in when we're in the middle of it. When that happens, we need to rely on different skills. Like our mountaineers, suddenly we need to be attuned to other things. We cannot just look back on the landscape. We need instead to tune our senses to other features. We need to feel the contour of the land under our feet. We maybe need to listen out for the sound of running water nearby as we use these things in our surroundings to find our bearings. And so working out when we are in life requires us to pay close attention to what's happening around us as we discern what is required of us in this particular season. You see, what we need to understand about discernment is that discernment, as Pope Francis describes it in his encyclical, is a gift. Discernment is a grace of God. It's a gift that we receive when we open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts to him. Let me read with you what he writes. We need discernment at all times to help us recognize God's timetable lest we fail to heed the promptings of his grace and disregard his invitation to grow. So in practical terms for us, this means we need to spend time listening to God. We need to come together in prayer. We need to open the Bible together. We need to come and worship here together. We need to be in fellowship with one another. As we seek to discern together what is needed of us right now for the season that we are in. That's a task um, we need to do as a community here, as a congregation. And it's one that we began at Kirk Session last Wednesday. We're discerning together what it is God wants from us in this season of ministry here at St. John's. And it seems to me that perhaps in this season, God is calling our community into a period of close listening to him, of re-engaging with what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But let me say to each of you individually, this task of discernment is not just a communal one, it's for every one of us. When do you find yourself today? What is required of you in the season of life you are in? The answer to that question will be different for all of us. Yesterday, um, I had the pleasure of marrying a lovely young couple. They're embarking on a new season of life together. For them, the challenge will be to plant new things, to put down new roots. But what required is required of them might be very different from what is required of you today. 
Maybe you are entering a season when the word you need to hear from God is rest. Stop planting. Let the land lay fallow for a bit because he's preparing you for a new season to come. Or maybe you're entering a season that will demand a lot from you and you need to give yourself over to it, remembering that it won't last forever. Or maybe, and perhaps this is more likely, you're in a season where it's just not clear what it is God wants you to do. For example, perhaps you find yourself in one of the later seasons of life. And it might be the case as you embark on this season that you had plans for this time in your life. But those plans just aren't working out as you had hoped. Something else has emerged to require your attention. Perhaps there's a family member who's ill in need of care. Or maybe you've lost someone dear with whom you had hoped to share this season of life with. If that's the case, then it will be difficult to know what God is asking of you at this time. Because in order to give yourselves over to the season that you're in, it might be the case that you first need to mourn the plans you had made for yourself. At risk of sounding trivial, I found myself thinking of a children's film as I was thinking about this. Do you know that Pixar film Up? Wave at me if you do. Some people do. If you don't, watch it. It's a beautiful film. It's about an elderly man called Mr. Erickson, and he is grieving the death of his wife. His wife, who's been his best friend since they were children. And when we meet Mr. Erickson in the film, he's become really bitter. He's withdrawn himself from the world until one day, a little boy, basically the Cub Scouts, called Russell, knocks his door. It changes forever. There is a beautiful moment in that film when the old man is sitting down looking through the scrapbook of his life with his beloved wife. And he's looking at all those wonderful memories they had in their adventure together. And in the last page, he discovers a picture he didn't know was there with a note written in the hand of his wife. And this is what it says. Thanks for the adventure. Now go make a new one. That's a hard sentiment, isn't it, to believe? But it's similar to a line from the writer E.M. Foster, who writes, we must be willing to let go of the life we had planned, so to have the life that is waiting for us. Sometimes we need to let go of the life we've planned so that we can have the life that's waiting for us. As I say, that can be a hard thing for us to accept, but as Christians, we have a hope, don't we, that there is indeed life waiting for us, always beyond whatever season we're in. As Smith reminds us, to give ourselves over to the burden of a particular season, especially when that season is not as we have planned, is to entrust ourselves to the God who calls us, to the God who made us. So how do we be good stewards of time? We embrace the seasons, we work out when we are, and then finally, and I promise very briefly, we time travel with friends. Now what am I talking about with this one? 
Well, I've said already that discernment is something that requires attention to the moment that we're in, careful listening, because we don't have the advantage of that long view to help us work out when we are. But there's a cheat, and I'm going to share it with you now, because it's possible for us to time travel. This is what Smith writes in his book. If you want to transcend time, it's very simple. Build friendships across generations. You see, the truth is none of us can stand outside our season. None of us can look in from afar and recognize when we are. But we can benefit from the wisdom of those who've lived those seasons before us. Because let's not forget, if we go back to my strawberry, the strawberry bush bears its fruit. It gives us the gift right at the end of its life. It's at the end that the gifts come. And so I think in this place, we should be encouraged and thankful to be part of a community that is truly intergenerational, an intergenerational family of faith, because there are fruits to be shared here. There are gifts for the younger generation to open as they learn from those in the later seasons of life how to be good stewards of the time we're given. Let me leave you with the last word of Smith in that chapter I read. Because he has something truly inspiring to say to all of us, I think, about this gift of time traveling with friends. This is what he writes. When, older friend, when an older friend reports from a future you couldn't imagine, your imagination is infused with a new possibility. When an older friend reports from a future you couldn't imagine, your imagination is infused with a new possibility. And you know what that's called, folks? That's called hope. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.